Got it. Okay, we got one person there. Everybody else good? All right, let me read it, and I'm going to pray, and we'll jump in. Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together as a church, as members of Christ's body. And Lord, I ask that as we continue to gather, you would continue to fill us with your spirit. Lord, we are desperate for your spirit's power to be at work in our life, to help us grow in our faith, to grow and mature as believers as we seek to pick up a cross and follow Jesus each and every day. And Lord, as we sit here together and listen to your word, Lord, we ask that this word would produce in us its intended effect. That you would take these words and you would sow them into our hearts and they would bear a lot of fruit in the way in which we relate with one another. The way in which we treat one another when we find ourselves caught in a sin or carrying a heavy burden. Lord, your word speaks to how we relate to one another in these ways. And so, Lord, help us. Help us to see it clearly. Change us where we need to be changed. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Lord, have your way with us through the power of your spirit that dwells inside of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, in chapter 5, Paul described the nature of the Spirit-filled life. He urged the Galatians to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, and to live by the Spirit so that they wouldn't gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, when we start talking about being led by the Spirit, sometimes we can get confused into thinking that we have to wait for God to give us some special experience or special knowledge of Him and His will with special power so that we might do something for God. And I'm not saying God doesn't ever do this, so please don't ever hear me say that because God does work in miraculous ways. But what I am saying is that sometimes when talking about the Spirit's power in our lives, we can tend to think that this is always a miraculous interaction with the Spirit of God when in fact a lot of times, I'd say if not most of the times, it's not miraculous, but rather it's sort of mundane and it's typically seen through 
a simple and faithful obedience to God as He reveals Himself to us throughout the pages of Scripture. And He reveals His will for us throughout the pages of Scripture. And we just pick up our cross. And by faith in God and by the grace of God, we seek to interact with the Spirit of God that dwells in us as we walk by faith and seek to be obedient to what He calls us to. I say this because in our text this morning, Paul shows us what a spirit-filled life looks like practically. And I would say this, as we seek to close out our time in Galatians, the remaining section that we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks, it's just, it's very practical. Very practical. As he just sort of spent time teaching us that a person is saved or justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, and then talking about in chapter 5, the Spirit of God at work in us. And, and now he just turns to say, and this is what it can look like. This is what it should look like as you seek to live out your life together in the good of the gospel. And so Paul is going to show us what a Spirit-filled life looks like practically. In it, though, what we're going to see is that he doesn't say anything about visions from God. Nor does he say anything about prophetic words from God, but instead he shows us that a spirit-filled life is one that is lived, it's lived out in humble community with other believers. Life in the Spirit involves healthy relationships, healthy, humble, faithful relationships within the context of a local church with other believers as we live in the good of this gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, don't get me wrong here. Don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with praying for and desiring God to move in miraculous ways. And we believe that he does. And we walk by faith in those areas. But may we never overlook how the Spirit usually works in our lives through practical deeds of love and humble service to others in the mundane of everyday life together. David Platt, and I'm going to share a number of his quotes this morning, um, in his commentary on this section, he said the following. He said, God saves us and empowers us with his spirit in order that we may live in community with believers who fulfill his mission in the world. Then he just says, this is Christianity, loving one another. This is Christianity, loving one another. And it's interesting because if you go back to chapter 5 and and Paul begins to describe the fruit of the Spirit, the first one that he mentions is love. The Spirit of God that dwells in all believers is growing us in a love for God and a love for one another. This love for one another, it enables us to serve one another instead of what Paul wrote about earlier, instead of biting and devouring one another. Instead of constantly getting in conflicts with one another, thinking that we're better than one another or worse than one another, the fruit of the Spirit, when love is at work, it it helps us walk in unity with one another as we genuinely seek others' interests better than our own. This love for one another also enables us to walk out our lives together humbly, not provoking one another or envying one another. So what we're going to learn this morning from Paul is this. 
Since we are spirit-filled believers, and I would say if you're a Christian, you are a spirit-filled believer. That's what Paul was getting at in chapter 5. Since we are spirit-filled believers, we must seek to love one another by carrying one another's burdens. Spirit-filled believers care for and love one another. And what we're going to see is really two points of what that sort of looks like. And, and the first one is spirit-filled believers care for one another by helping one another get unstuck or becoming untrapped in their sin. And the second point is just that we, spirit-filled believers, we carry one another's burdens. We look out for one another. We live life together. And sometimes that means we sacrifice and we serve generously those who are carrying a heavy burden. So in our first point, here's what we're going to unpack. Number one, spirit-filled believers seek to restore others who are caught in a sin with gentleness. With gentleness. Again, verse 1, Paul writes, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Notice how Paul uses the word brothers here. Now, if you're anything like me, a lot of times when that word's sort of thrown around, you can kind of just just skip by it because it, it can just feel sort of common at times, kind of like that's the way they used to speak back then. But but this word actually, it helps us understand the nature of our relationships with one another in the context of the church or the nature of our relationships with other believers. And what this word highlights for us, what it indicates is that we're family. And if you've been here long enough, you've probably heard me say that a ton of times. We're just family. And I don't ever really want to tire of of us being reminded of that because we need to be reminded that that we are genuinely a spiritual family that has been united together through faith in Jesus Christ. These relationships exist because Christ died for them. Paying the penalty for all of our sins, past, present, and future, uniting us through faith to God and with God one another. He's he's helped us by bringing us together through faith in him to be able to live life together, not just as acquaintances, not just as members, but as family, as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And, and, And this means something, and it should means something to us because we shouldn't take these relationships for granted. It comes with a sense of responsibility, a sense of expectation and desire to live life together. And so I occasionally will have these conversations with my boys. And I had one recently with one of my boys just talking about his relationship with another one of the boys. And I was just saying, you're not just friends. I was just saying, you need to understand you're brothers, and if any, anybody here have a brother, probably have a sister, so you can just take out brother and put sister. That, that means something. At least in my family, it means something. It, mean, it means we have each other's back. It means we, we look out for their best interest. It means that when, when we see somebody that's down in the family, we're there and we seek to help them. There, there's a tight commitment to one another because we're related by blood. 
And so trying to encourage one of my boys in this way is that he has a responsibility as a brother to look out for his other brother. He has a responsibility as a brother to protect his brother. And in this case, I'm saying you have a responsibility as his brother to encourage your brother. Now, brothers fight. They just do. Family members, they're going to fight. That's that's another benefit of being a part of the families is you fight. But you're committed to one another. So that's what I was trying to get at is you can fight, but you better encourage as well because he's your brother. Well, in a similar way, our relationships with one another in the church are supposed to be marked by this type of of genuine family relationship with one another. Now, it it can break down because I know some families aren't all operating the same way, and and there are places where people are really hurt by brothers and sisters. So I'm not talking about those relationships. I'm talking about just the general ones where we actually sort of love our brothers and we're sort of trying to work these things out. But, But God calls us family. And Paul wrote to Timothy about how the church should treat one another as family in this way. This is 1 Timothy 5. Verse 1, he says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. So if you're a younger man and you have an older man in the church and you look at that older man, Paul is saying, look at him and think about him as you would a father. That's how you treat him when you have to maybe talk to him or correct him in this context. But it's not just a friend, it's it's as a father. And then he says, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. And so we're family. Let me ask you a question before we move any further into our text. How, How do you view one another in this church? Do you think about the person sitting next to you as a brother or sister? When you wake up on a Sunday morning and you're you're showing up, are are you excited to see family? Do you think about one another as family? See, when I remind folks, one of my main things is, is I want us to have a conviction as a church that we are brothers and sisters because Christ died for this. And that's a pretty big deal. It's huge. That, that, that's the conviction that's got to drive the way in which we think about one another. Because he's going to call us to live in the good of this gospel. And it's going to be some sacrifice. And we're going to see this here in just a moment. But, but if we don't look and see one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, relationships that Christ has died for, then these relationships are going to kind of be a take it or leave it type of relationship. But I would say they're not. You can think that way, but that's not the way these relationships are. These relationships were purchased and built by the blood of Jesus Christ. They're valuable to us. So how do you think about this? And I would say, if you don't think about it this way, I would say pray and ask God to help you begin to see relationships with other believers as family relationships. And if you do see these relationships as brothers and sisters in Christ, then what Paul would say, really to all of us, is then care for one another. Or continue to care for one another spiritually. Verse 1 again, he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him 
in a spirit of gentleness. So one of the ways in which spirit-filled believers care for other believers is, is their eyes are open and they're paying attention to what's going on in other believers' lives. And when you see a brother or sister caught in a transgression or caught in any sin, he says, you who are spiritual should restore him with a spirit of gentleness. David Platt, again, he writes, the enemy sets traps. And sometimes brothers and sisters fall into these traps. We need our faith family to pry open the traps and set us free when this happens. See, again, I've said this a number of times in Galatians. The reality is, is that sin exists. And it's a real temptation for all of us. The power of it has been broken. If you're a believer, the power of that sin has been broken, but the reality is sin's presence still remains. And Paul has just spent an entire chapter saying, walk by the Spirit so that you do not feed or gratify the desires of the flesh. And so now he kind of shifts and he's saying, but, but when another brother or sister is feeding the flesh and is trapped by the flesh or trapped by their sin, he's saying, you who are spiritual have a responsibility to genuinely love that brother or sister and help them because they're trapped. They're caught in that sin. And God uses other brothers and sisters to help release that trap, so to speak, to kind of steal a little bit from David Platt's quote there. When we get trapped, sometimes we need help from others to set us free, so to speak, to to show us the way that, that we're called to live out our lives. Because the reality is when you think about sin, it just has a way of lying to us, doesn't it? It just has a way to lie, lie to us. And to just use your own life. Think about your own temptations and ways in which you wrestle with your own sin. Sometimes it lies to us by telling us things like it's really not that big of a deal. And so we just make room for it to stay. Or we make an excuse just saying, oh, it's, it's, it's not a big deal and, and I've asked forgiveness to us. But when we're talking about being trapped here... What he's getting at is not somebody who's in the, in the process of, of sinning and then asking for forgiveness or confessing and then repenting and fighting that sin. When he's talking about being trapped, it's somebody who's caught in it. Somebody who's unable to get away or escape from it. And another way would be somebody who's just living in it. Somebody who's bought into the lie that they're okay with this sin, but the reality is this sin owns them. And a lot of times, people, when they find themselves in that situation, they can't see it. Or they don't see it. And that's why God has given us brothers and sisters who he has equipped with the power of his spirit to come and gently seek to restore a brother and sister or or help them be set free from it. In Matthew 18, Jesus taught us that we're to go to our brother who sinned against us and tell him his fault. So if you've been through our new members class, you know we seek to practice church discipline. Church discipline is a gift from God to help us love brothers and sisters in Christ who are caught in sin. And so what we do is is we're called to go. So if your brother or sister has sinned against you, you go to your brother and sister 
personally, hoping to win a friend. Hoping to see that brother or sister repent and turn back and trust in Christ. But if that brother or sister doesn't, then then you're called to bring another brother or sister with you to help them see the one who's caught in their sin. Maybe help, help them see that sin. And if they see it, great, you've won a friend. Meaning they've repented. Trusting in Christ, living life together. But if they don't, eventually it gets to a point where we we bring it to the church. But I'd say, as I tell folks in the new members class, the Matthew 18 process for us, it's long. It's long in in some ways, depending on the type of sin and and how it affects the church and how it might affect those involved. It might be shorter than others. But but the point is, we, we have to give time for the Spirit to work sometimes. Sometimes people see it right away. I'd say a lot of times it takes a little bit of time for people to begin to see their sin, the effects of their sin, and the grace of God to work in such a way where they begin to repent. And so a lot of times it takes wisdom to walk through this. The point is, is we are called by God to help others grow in their faith. And when we see a brother or sister caught in their sin, we're to help them. We're not to ignore it or even give up on them. So what are we to do if we see a brother or sister caught in sin? Paul tells us we should seek to restore them with gentleness. And this word restore here means to set back in place or to repair. And it's sort of like when somebody breaks a bone and the doctor has to set that back in place. Anybody ever seen that done? Anybody ever broken a bone and have a doctor set it in place where you were awake to see it? So we've had a couple. I had the privilege a few years ago, I think John was telling me 10 years ago maybe, at a youth camp. We showed up, we were about seven hours away in Florida, unload the vans, everybody gets out, they're starting to play basketball, and we've been there maybe 15 minutes, and I'm standing there talking to other counselors, and one of our young guys comes up to me, and he's holding his arm, I think like this, he's like, I think I broke my arm, but his arm didn't look like this, it kind of had this little U shape, and immediately I said, yeah, I think you did too. And so we went to the hospital together. Parents weren't there. We sat in the emergency room. I was in the back room with him, and the doctor came in and hung his arm like this from a sling, I believe. And then what he did is he was medicated a bit. I don't think he felt it. Um, Anyways, and the doctor just reefed on it, and it made this noise. Well, I mean, it was loud. It was distinct noise. And what the doctor was doing is he was setting it back in place. And this guy would say he felt immediate relief because it was back in place. And so that's what restore means. And that's what God's called us to do. We don't ignore people who are caught in sin. We seek to restore people who are caught in sin. People who are sort of out of place, out of step in regards to their relationship with Christ, not picking up their cross and following him, but instead feeding the flesh, unable to get out, we're called to come alongside them and restore them by the grace of God. Like a doctor would reset or put a broken bone back in place. And I would say this takes wisdom and common sense. If someone is seeking to repent and there are some noticeable changes being made in their lives, they probably don't need a lot of correction. We're talking about restoration and bringing them back. When I say it takes wisdom, it depends how the person is responding. Not everybody needs to be rebuked. 
Sometimes they need to be encouraged. Sometimes they need to be built up. Sometimes they just need to have the Bible opened up for them, and then you start reading about what a right relationship between a boyfriend and a girlfriend or a man and a woman who aren't married should look like. And you just highlight this is what God says with purity. And then you talk about purity. But sometimes there's warnings and sometimes there's strong rebukes. But, but he would say, with gentleness. With gentleness. Again, David Platt says, be a person who cares for your brothers and sisters, not one who is trying to be everyone's accountability partner. I shared it sort of for that because I feel like in some ways we need to hear this at times. We don't need to be everybody's accountability partner. Or sometimes it's said like this, you don't have to be the Holy Spirit for somebody else. God is, is very capable of being the Holy Spirit. That doesn't need us, but chooses to use us by helping to restore those who are caught in their sin. And so we have to speak. But I'd say this, remember that you are not the Holy Spirit. You can't change that person. You can help to restore them, but ultimately at the end of the day, Christ is the one who restores people. And so I would say a big part of our participating in restoring somebody is by lifting up the gospel to them. Helping people to see who Jesus is and what he's done for them and what he's calling them to do as he empowers them with his spirit. And I'd like to pause a little bit. I don't, I don't want to, but I'm going to a second. Because I feel like when I say that sometimes, I, like I, I get it. We don't always understand what that means. And I've had conversations with people because, because you just don't trust it. That, that would be my experience talking to some of you about this and what I just said. We bring the gospel because the gospel brings restoration. We highlight Jesus because that's the power of God to save people. But instead, as we've been walking through Galatians, he's been exposing this self-righteousness. At the end of the day, we say we believe that, but a lot of times we actually really just want to control it and force people into this path that God hasn't really given them the power to walk at the moment. Now, it's kind of a lot of things said, but, but that's what we end up doing. But what he's getting at here is he's helping us to understand. We bring restoration, and that looks like a warning, that looks like correction, but we're not the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, at the end of the day, Christ is the one who saves and forgives and empowers. None of us have that ability or power. Christ does. And so we highlight the gospel. And I would say it's an opportunity for us to trust in Jesus Christ. Again, it doesn't mean we don't say things. It doesn't mean we don't correct because that's part of the restoration. Did I finish that quote? I don't think so. Let me go on. Ultimately, he says this, only Jesus can forgive and restore. He puts back together our old broken down jalopy of a spiritual life. And that is our job, he says, to point others to Jesus. We cannot do this by ignoring sin or remaining silent. So we need to be faithful, see somebody caught in their sin, help them. Do it with a spirit of gentleness and not arrogance. 
Jesus told us this in regards to correcting a brother or sister in Matthew 7. He says, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Matthew 7, verse 5. And so I think in part, one of the ways in which for us to be gentle in our restoration or correction of others who are caught in their sins would be to heed Jesus' advice. That when we go to a brother because we see something in their lives or a sister because we see something in their lives, we might want to take a look at our own lives first and get the log out of our own eyes. And I would say a lot of time this log looks like pride. And that pride shows up in annoyance if you're a parent and you have kids and you're trying to correct them, at least in my life, this is what it looks like. I'm annoyed that they're doing this again, and I have to address this again. Therefore, when I go to correct them and help them, it sounds a lot like that. It sounds like I'm annoyed. And guess what happens when we're annoyed? Again, I'll use my own life. When people correct me, and there's something else going on in their hearts in regards to me, and I'm hoping you can relate to this, I typically can feel it. And I'll say, especially if I know you really, really well, and you might live in my house, sometimes I might say something like, I hear what you're saying, but it's really hard to get past blank. You know what I mean? That when somebody's trying to help you and they're trying to correct you, but there's a log, typically you can feel it, right? doesn't typically feel real gentle to get hit with that log across the side of the face. So I just bring that up because Jesus says, get that log out. Now, I would say mature people might be able to hear because I would say mature believers and typically people who are caught in a transgression aren't going to be very mature at the moment. But mature people might be able to hear because they're willing to listen to the voice of the Lord even through a correction or a rebuke that might be arrogant. And I think we need to grow in that area, but this message isn't all about that. So if you really want to help, let's get the log out first and let's seek to take, before we seek to take the speck out of our brother's eyes, be gentle with your brother or sister who's caught in a sin. Think about how you would want to be helped if you were in their shoes. And then think about them and pray and ask God for wisdom. Lord, how can I gently seek to restore this brother or sister without arrogance and pride? Come alongside them. Be patient with them. Be courageous and say what needs to be said, but do it with kindness and love. Think about how Jesus treats us in our sin. This is what also I think, I think we overlook this. And when I say we, I'm going to put myself at the front of this line. Sometimes we overlook this. We forget about how Jesus loves enemies. How he's kind to the ungrateful and evil, Luke 6, verse 35. And so when we see a brother or sister caught in a sin, especially if it's a sin that's affecting us, we're not always kind to the ungrateful and evil, but but Christ is always kind. He He doesn't just throw us out there and say, get away. Instead, he says, come. 
All of your sins have been paid for, past, present, and future. And he's patient. He's patient with us. So let us, let us not forget the gospel when we seek to restore somebody to Christ. Let us be gentle. This leads us to our second point. Spirit-filled believers carry one another's burdens. So not only do we help people in their sin, we also seek to help people who are carrying a heavy weight. Verse 2, he says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. And so if a brother or sister is a little different than than somebody who's caught in a sin, this is more of somebody who's suffering. Somebody who's having to carry something that they didn't plan for, they didn't expect, and at the end of the day is too heavy for them to carry alone. This word burden, it literally means just heavy weight. You might add extremely heavy weight. All of us will have to carry one of these at some point in our lives. If you have not yet, you will. And what you're going to experience is that you're not going to be able to carry it alone. And part of that is God has not called for us to carry burdens alone because we're family. And when you live in a family, we carry those things together. And so there will be things in your life that will just be hard hard. And they happen in our church all the time. These things look like a financial difficulty that was not prepared for. Sometimes it looks like a loss of a job, unable to get a job with bills that pile up, savings that dwindle. It's a heavy burden. Sometimes it looks like an unexpected sickness. That severely affects your family. We've seen it out there, but sometimes it happens here. Changes everything, doesn't it? Sometimes it looks like somebody caught in their sin runs from it and never comes back. And the family breaks up and there's a divorce and there's collateral damage all over the place. Who's going to care for them? The church does. Because it's a heavy burden that we don't always prepare for, but the Lord has prepared for it. He's prepared for it. He he did this. He created a local church. He died for people and united them through faith together. And so we carry one another's burdens. We just carry people's burdens. We are not self-sufficient people. We need one another. We need one another, and you guys do this so well, so well. But I would just say this, spirit-filled believers carry the burdens of their brothers and sisters. They just carry the burdens of their brothers and sisters. I'm going to skip to this last verse in verse 5, where Paul says this, For each will have to bear his own load. And so he kind of shifts a little bit from carrying the burdens of others to encouraging us that you're going to have to carry your own load. The word load here does not mean the same thing as burden. 
which was mentioned earlier. It's a different word. Burden's a heavy weight, but this word load really is, it's, it's a light pack. Think about it like a backpack. And when you think about a burden, think about it as, as a massive rock that you can't pick up. It's just there. You need others to help you pick that thing up. And when you think of this load, think of a backpack that you, you get to put on. And so it's something that you can carry. It shows up as a responsibility that God has called you to, to trust him for and the grace of God to accomplish the things that he's called you to do. So there's just things that, that you need to do that others shouldn't be doing for you. For each will have to carry his own load. And so basically what he's saying is everything in life is not a crisis, though. Everything in life is not a crisis. A lot of these things are just regular life responsibilities. And sometimes these life responsibilities show up in the midst of also having to carry a heavy load. And so again, what I'd say is a lot of times this also takes wisdom of seeking to understand what is a burden and what is a load. And some of these load things are, are sort of easy to understand in the sense of like, okay, if you lose your job, the load part of it would be it's your responsibility to look for a new job. Does that make sense? But it's the church's responsibility to help you until you get there. Or the, the brothers and sisters, as heavyweights come up, if that makes sense. Or as I was trying to explain to my boys, I like to use them as examples because I get to work on the message the whole week, I'd say to this, your load is for you to get yourself out of bed in the morning. It's not your mom's or my responsibility to wake you up to get you to school. That, that's your responsibility. That's your load to carry. That's your backpack to put on. When they were younger, it was kind of our, we were helping them. But now we don't, or we try not to. So you see that there's a difference. The point is, everything in life is not a crisis. There are things that we have to carry ourselves. And I'd say this for parents, as you think through this, let your kids carry their own load. And that's going to take wisdom. Think through it. What do they need to learn themselves? What responsibilities do they need to pick up and put on their back and just do as they grow up? And I also think this, when it says, for all will have to carry their own load, I think about it in the sense of, we all will one day stand before the Lord. And by that, I just mean, we're going to have to carry this pack before the Lord, and we're going to stand before Jesus, and, and there's going to be this evaluation in the sense of, how did you live out your spirit-filled life? Did you trust in Christ? Did you care for your brothers? Did you carry the burdens of your brothers and sisters? Were you faithful to do the things that I called you to do and I equipped you to do with the power of my spirit? There's a little bit of fear of God in there. And that's a good thing. And I say this, brothers and sisters, you do an excellent job at this. It's one of the things I highlight for us as a church as I get to talk about you to other people. Is that the gospel is at work in this church and I see it in the ways in which you do community with one another. You care for one another. You pray for one another. You're kind to one another. And when crisis hit family members in this church, 
you go out of your way. You excel at carrying the burdens of others. And so with Paul, I would say, continue to do this. Because this is what spirit-filled believers look like. And you look like spirit-filled believers. So be encouraged. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for this day and the opportunity, Lord, to be together and to sit before your word. And I just ask, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit. Lord, may the fruit of the spirit grow in our lives. May we care for one another. May we have a genuine love for each and every person in this church. Lord, give us eyes to see those in need. And Lord, move our hearts that we would move in the direction and care for by sacrificially serving and generously giving towards those needs. And Lord, may you be glorified in all that we do. And may you continue to form us into a gospel-centered community as we seek to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, we love you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much uh, for being here this morning. Just a, a couple things. Kyle, where's Colin at? Somewhere in here. Okay. These, the back five rows, I'm sorry, we pick up chairs. It's time to pick up chairs. The back five rows do not need to be picked up today because we have that children's ministry. We're going to use those chairs. All the other chairs can be picked up except for the back five rows on this left side, my left side. All right. So may the Lord bless you. Have a great Sunday.